Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah. That plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hello and welcome to Freaky Friday. Sadly, the final Freaky Friday. Well, sort of. We're still gonna the do, we're final still do Freaky things. Friday for podcasts like it's 1999, the podcast where we talk about freaks and geeks episodes of 99 that bled into 2000. With us today, back our guest from the series um, premiere. He's the back pilot, for yeah. the. Sadly, the series finale, Alan Seppenwall, the chief TV critic of Rolling Stone, the dean of TV criticism, <laughs> the, the man that taught us how to watch TV. Thanks for coming back, Alan. My pleasure, guys. Anytime we can talk about Bill Havertruck is a good day. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Uh, I, I have to say, uh, as I've been watching these last – we're doing these last three a little bit out of order, but watching these last three episodes, I, I really found myself sad that um, that it was coming to an end. Me I, too. I, I, I've really, really – it's been a real gift doing this, i got to be honest. Um, and it's proven to me just sort of how special this show is. But uh, in reading your blog posts, Alan, especially um, on the finale, uh, you talk about this idea of um, – Having a show, rather, you know, a, a great show that dies, uh, what did you say, something about a good corpse, a good-looking corpse? Live fast, die young, leave a good-looking corpse. Mm -hmm. And and I and I, I agree I with that. I was pretty sure that's what James Franco was going to do. But. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but do you want to elaborate on that a little bit, Alan? Well, it's, I mean, I didn't invent that phrasing, but it's the idea of, like, television shows are uh, traditionally were designed to just keep going until they stop being profitable. 
And sometimes you have a show that is basically good all the way through its run, something like you know, Mary Tyler Moore show. But most of the time, TV shows exist long past their creative peak because that's how the money gets made. Uh, and so sometimes like it's painful that we didn't get another season of Freaks and Geeks. And I think all the time about the kinds of stories they could have told but on the other hand, we have these 18 episodes. They're pretty much perfect. They ne- we never had to deal with the kind of slumps that a lot of other great shows dealt with. You know, there's no no one comes back in season two and kills somebody like on Friday Night Lights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, every show I love, almost every show has some point where they step in a dumb hole for some reason. Freaks and Geeks, we never got there, so there's nothing I can look at. And, you know, even in these episodes, and I have to think, man, I like this, but now it makes me think of the stupid thing they did later. It's just, it's beautiful, it's 18, it's perfect. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't disagree with that. I, it, it's, it's one of those things where, as I was watching the finale, I did think to myself, um, you know, about the sort of the, the circumstances under which the finale was made, which was, you know, basically Apatow saying to, to uh, Paul Feig, if you've got anything, you know, that's that's waiting on the bench, any ideas you really want to do, uh, you better do them quick. And he, mm-hmm. you know, kind of pulls this finale out of his ass, for for lack of a better way of putting it, um, uh, in terms of just, you know, the D&D thing and the disco thing and, and uh, Grateful Dead and all of it just sort of um, was, I guess, up on a board somewhere of things that he wanted to cover or that the room wanted to cover. And, and he made a, a kind of a perfect, beautiful ending to the show, even if he did have a gun to his head. Oh, it's one of my favorite series finales of all time, and I I love the fact that they made it early because yeah. they knew they were yeah. going to get canceled, and they did, wanted to get it in before production got shut down. It's one of the more inspiring things I've ever seen happen with a show like this. For sure, I mean, and that in 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 and of itself is kind of a gift when you think about it. I mean, a lot of shows, to your point, especially in broadcast, maybe less so in cable, but. Uh, you don't get that chance to to write the finale that you know that you want, um, and that's sort of one of the other special qualities about the show is that even under the circumstances, it got to find a way to end on its own terms. And, and there's a lot of ways in which the process of making a broadcast network show, as as you well know, is dumb and counterproductive. <laughs> but yes, one of the advantages is you're making it while the show is on the air. Yeah. So you can get a pretty good idea, depending on timing, of whether you're coming back. Yeah. So it's much harder for like a cable or now a streaming show to be able to pull off what, what Judd and Paul did here with this finale because the, it all would have been in the can before a second of it debuted and they knew that you know this was not going to become you know the next big phenomenon of television. Yes. I mean, I think they knew that long before before this point. Um, I want to just sort of talk really briefly just from a high altitude about sort of series finales in general and just sort of the the, you know, the landmines that you can step on, quite honestly. Um, you know, we, we've seen some we're now in in uh, I don't I don't know if we're in a golden age of television, but I still think I do think that we're in a golden age of series finales, which is that a lot of shows are getting to end when they want to end for the most part. Um, and they're not sort of being forced into any boxes. But I, I think that what this show does really well, or at least for me, when it comes to series finales is sort of you've got to give the sense of, of conclusion without missing out without the viewer feeling as though they're missing out something in the future, if that makes any sense, but also having the feeling that these characters are going to go on to live on past this point. And it's that sort of, um, you know, living on the head of a needle in that regard that I think this does very, very well of feeling like we're seeing all these characters kind of go off in different directions um, and being, you know, sad about that, but also feeling like they're going to, the characters are going to live on. Do you have thoughts on, it- on series finales? 
No, it does. It does this really nifty thing that I often like about shows, although I know a lot of other people don't, because what I've discovered in doing this as long as I have is most people like closure. They like, you know, resolution. They like things wrapped up in a neat and tidy package. You know, the Breaking Bad finale, I love that show. I do not love that finale because I think it goes, works overtime, bending over backwards to sort of tie everything up in that neat way. You know, I like something like this. Where on the one hand, it's a thematic end of the show, but it's not a plot end of the show. So there's a lot left up in the air here. You don't know what's going to happen when Lindsay comes home and her parents have to deal with the fact that she skipped out on the academic summit. You don't know if Daniel is ever going to play D&D with these guys again or you know if he's going to go back to hang out with the burnouts. You don't know uh, whether Nick and Lizzie Kaplan's character are going to stay together. There's a lot of different things that are sort of hanging out there. But in terms of what the show is about, I can't think of a more perfect hour than this one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it it, it really does. I'm going to give a very brief synopsis just for the people that haven't listened to it uh, or watched it, that is. But uh, by chance, Lindsay and the freaks find out that Nick has been dating Sarah, played by Lizzie Kaplan. uh, And she's teaching him how to dance for an upcoming disco competition. Daniel, afraid of failing another test, is caught trying to pull the fire alarm. As punishment, he is forced to join the audio-visual club. The geeks respond to his presence coldly at first, but later invite him to a game of Dungeons & Dragons. As a result of Lindsay's outstanding grades, she receives an invitation to the academic summit at the University of Michigan, taking place two weeks during the summer. However, she's unsure whether she wants to attend. Instead, she pretends to leave for Ann Arbor on a bus. She disembarks at the next stop, where she and Kim meet up with two classmates and leave for a series of Grateful Dead concerts in Colorado. Discos & Dragons aired on July 8th, 2000, and it was written and directed by Paul Feig. Yeah, I mean, I, I it was think also nominated for best writing. It was. Yes, it was. Uh, the pilot was nominated, and this was nominated. It, it's frankly not the one I would have nominated from this back end. This two thousand. I agree. This this two thousand run, but um, you know, I understand it's a series finale, and it, it is a incredible series finale. It just it's it does it, it's not to me. It's it, it doesn't do what the best freaks and geeks episodes do. But it, it has a different mandate. It's also just not um, – and Paul Fugas sort of said it himself, and I have a, a couple quotes from him as well. But, you know, he he admits that it's not the funniest episode of Freaks and Geeks, um, that it has sort of a, a somewhat somber tone and that it's it's certainly – you know, it's a serious finale and, and, uh, and I guess a somewhat abrupt one at that. Um, but I'm going to read two quick quotes from him actually. Um, he was uh, interviewed in the AV Club um, – about sort of the run of the show and they asked so many times in the show we've seen characters trying on a new identity and not fitting for one reason or another but this is so organic to which he said again just totally uh, our theme totally our theme of trying to become other people we're trying to do other things and yeah it felt right it's totally an interesting episode not our funniest episode by any stretch of the imagination it gets fairly dark takes itself seriously in spots but i like that um, that's why I'm kind of proud of it. Again, it's not the funniest episode, but I think dramatically it comes together. So I, I think that there's something to be said for the fact that, your, to your point, it had a different mandate. Mm-hmm. Um, Alan, in terms of sort of the run of the show, do you feel like it feels a piece with the rest of it? I do. I mean, it's different in a couple of ways. It has three stories instead of two, which most of the other episodes have. You right. know, it's it's really Disco's Dragons and Dead, you know, if you want to get technical <laughs> about it. Sure. Um, but it's also kind of funny because, like, 
I think this is one of my favorite episodes, and yet, no, it's not one of the funniest, but one of the things I found when I'm going back over the run of the show when we started talking about the idea of doing a top five episodes list is yeah. there's not a lot of Freaks and Geeks episodes where I feel like the A story and the B story are on equal footing in terms of quality. Like, there's a lot where it's like a really great A story and a nice B story, you know, or vice versa, right. you know, where I love one of them and the other one is good, but not, not up to that level. And I really like all three of these pretty much equally in a way that very few other episodes of the series get to. And there's still some funny stuff in there. Like I laugh every time I watch poor Nick do the disco dance to groove line because he's (laughs) so mad. He's so mad that he's this good at disco and also that Lindsay has rejected him again and he's stuck with Sarah and all of that. It's like Jason, this is Jason Siegel's maybe his best physical comedy moment of this show of anything else he's done. Yeah, he's going through a whole host of emotions yeah. while dancing. It's <laughs> it's pretty amazing. What I do like about this episode is I, I think I, th- I think it's saying something about all right. So the, it's the term uh, the term freak always felt a little bit of a misnomer for me. Really, burnout is is what these guys are. <laughs> yes, and it was a very weird place for Lindsay to try to fit in and to land. And I think what this episode is kind of saying is it's not a landing place; it's a holding cell. Right. Or it's purgatory before you find something that actually makes sense. Um, there's nowhere to go from being a burnout. There's nowhere to go from being a freak. So what, what these three stories do is, uh, take, I would, you know, I would say our three main freaks or three main burnouts, the three people that we spoke, we've spoken about having no real kind of plan going forward. Yeah. And they leave and there's, there's, there's almost, it's almost begging for a scene where Ken is sitting under the bleachers alone. At the end, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think that this this episode really kind of crystallizes, I think, one of the major things that the show was was doing across its run, which was, to your point, Kenny, sort of Lindsay's purgatory. Lindsay's uh, struggle with identity and trying to figure out who she is. Um, and I, I think there's something beautiful about the fact that uh, she never finds it within the 18 episodes, um, but that she... There, there's something very wistful, I think, or very kind of beautiful about her on that van being the last shot of the show. Like, we don't get to see where Lindsay goes. Um, and that's okay. I think that we know that she's going to go on an adventure. We know she's going to come back and her parents will be pissed that she didn't do the academic summit and all that sort of stuff. But that's okay. You know, she's mm-hmm. still figuring it out. And I, I think that that's, I don't know, I think that's a really lovely place to leave it um, in a show that could have been a lot more conclusive. It, you know what I mean? It didn't... I, it, I personally also am very kind of at peace with the idea that she will go and follow the dead for a summer. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I think that there's always been a weird kindred spirit between her and Rosso. Yes. Right? Yes. I think that there's, I think that there's always kind of been this understanding between them that when they're in Rosso's office, like, you know, the, the faculty student relationships walls are kind of down and they're kind of equals. Yeah. And there's always a respect between them. Um, I also think that the moment when Lindsay is dancing to American beauty in her room is the one moment I actually felt like she was enjoying something. It's a great scene. Like she, yes. on her own terms that she actually was enjoying something, not for the benefit of anybody else. not trying to figure out who she is. That actually was something that she appreciated. Um, and you know, I, I think she's exactly of the right age and uh, the right class and the right mental state to be the kind of person who finds peace and solace in the grateful dead. I could I couldn't agree more. Mm. I, uh, I I think that I'm I'm I'll be honest. I'm not a Grateful Dead fan. I don't I don't really know them particularly well. Um, 
but they work so beautifully in this episode, just their vibe. Mm-hmm. That scene that you're talking about where she's dancing to, to American Beauty um, is just uh, – it's such a uh, – it's a beautiful scene because, to your point, she's at an age where she can open herself up to it. Uh, and and, and the, the, the vibe of them and that sort of open-mindedness and the quote-unquote freedom that comes with them I think is really beautiful. Um, and, yeah, I just it, – it's – I don't know. I think it's really special. Are you a Grateful Dead fan, Alan? Not, not hugely. You know, the that's one of the songs that I have. I know better than sure. some of the others. I'm, I'm jam bands are generally not my thing, so I like <laughs> the the atypical kind of Grateful Dead songs. But one of the things I lo- love about that scene, uh, b- besides the joy, is just how it sort of works as a mirror of the scene from the episode where Daniel d- decides to become a punk, where he's sitting on the floor of his room listening to Rise Above, just sort of very small and very you know closed in because he can't thrash around the way he wants to because he can't risk waking up his father. And there, there's a lot of different scenes over the run of the show where the kids are listening to music or just music is played as a montage over things and usually it's over difficult times and, and like you guys said this is a rare moment for Lindsay, but basically for all of the characters any of them to experience pure joy in this way and it's a nice capstone to a lot of what we've watched in the previous episodes totally i i, I absolutely agree i also feel like to to your point kenny on the roster thing because i'm interested in your thoughts on this alan they tee it up really beautifully in the previous episode where you where uh george hw bush comes to and and there's the whole sort of uh rosso wants her to have the question and then they get shot down as to what the question's allowed to be um and you really see him i, I hate the term cello but you do see rosso kind of get in line a little bit cleans himself up he well, beca- Guidance counselor. Sure, he, he's already he's, he's already he's already part of the machine. But you understand extent. my point, right? Which is well, that yeah, he seems like yeah. a little bit of a renegade, a he little gets, bit yeah, of a he rebel. Gets in line, yeah, and he gets in line. He does. He that. seems like a little bit of a one man sleeper cell, or at least that's how he envisioned it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But um, I, but I, I do think in this one, he. I mean, the braid is so fucking good. He braids the hair. <laughs> This is also the episode that was. I mean, not to not yeah. to look back to seventeen. That's also the, also the episode where Lindsay admitted that she thinks Rosso's kind of handsome. <laughs> So good. Like they've got a thing. It's kind of amazing. It's kind of handsome. It's so good. But I, I think that the the Russo thing has a nice bow to it in the in the finale. In terms of the fact that whether he knows it or not, he's kind of sleeper celled her with this album. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He's given her this thing. He's kind of blown her mind a little bit with this album, and he's put her in a direction that uh, I don't think is a bad thing. But I think it's interesting. Uh, do you have any thoughts on Rosso, Alan? And I like I like Rosso. The show kind of waxes and wanes on whether he's just the butt of the joke or whether he actually has yeah. you know wisdom to impart. And the fact that this episode was written out of order for, with the little things means that I don't know how much of that was sort of planned as an arc versus them going back and kind of backfilling. Like you know the they introduced the deadhead character a couple of episodes before mm-hmm. after they'd already shot this one. Yeah. Um, but I do, I do definitely see there's an arc between Lindsay and Rosso where she wants to hear what he has to say more than anybody else does. And he tends to say the most useful things to her, although he helps out Sam at least once. Yeah, he – I mean the scene when in, in 17 when he kind of loses his shit when it's he amazing. locks his keys in his car and she sees a side of him that – you know, that no one's seen really, you know, he, he, he really kind of opens up and you start to see a window into this sad guy, you know, who's, who feels trapped by, you know, by life, I guess, in some form or another. Um, and to see the inverse of that, to see that flipped in the finale, I think is, it's a really nice mirror. Um, and it really helps Lindsay's character, uh, 
sort of wrap herself up as 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 the show resolves itself. What do you, what do you yeah. think Lindsay's going to go on to do, Alan? Have you ever thought about that? What do you think her her life is going to look like? I don't know. I know that like one of my older sisters used to do academic summits like that, and she was so pissed that Lindsay <laughs> blew it off. She's like, she would have had fun. She would have. <laughs> like, the the smart kids could actually be cool. She would have had a good time with it. That's fine. Um, I, I don't know. I know that Judd has said he wanted in season two for Lindsay to come back with some kind of drug problem uh, from hanging around with the dead, which would be like a, a little role reversal between her and Nick. Uh, I don't yeah, know. I would like yeah. to think that she turns out OK because she was the smartest and the best of all of them. You know, one of the things about that I liked in seeing revisiting the show is that the geeks, for the most part, are not very smart. You know, they're not like geniuses. No. She's the genius and she could go and do something with her life. But you know, it, dep- it depends on what mistakes she makes along the way. To that point, that's why I, I found the AV teacher's um, speech speech to them to be a little disingenuous. Because it these, totally is. It these totally aren't is. the guys that are going to be ordering fries for the jocks. Yeah. Like, these are the guys who are going to be, gosh, I don't know, like, probably picked on their whole lives. Maybe not Sam, but uh, I don't know. I don't have great feelings for Bill, for Bill or, Neil. or Neil going forward. That speech was really interesting for me because I I found myself watching it thinking, okay, this is an this is an easy speech to give, I guess, for all intents and purposes, to these kids. But in sort of, I couldn't help but think about like, kind of about like Silicon Valley and and what's kind of become of the of the nerds kind of or the geeks inheriting the earth, mm-hmm. the Elon Musks and Jeff Bezoses of the world, mm-hmm. and it's it's interesting to sort of see how maybe it's not gone exactly the way that this teacher has thought. That uh, that noise you made was interesting, Alan. <laughs> it has not gone well. Do you care to elaborate on that guttural sound you made at the, at the thought of Bezos and Musk? <laughs> I would say just between what Silicon Valley has done and between like what's happened with nerd culture in general with the yeah. rise of these comic book movies, and I grew up reading every goddamn one of the titles that have been made into a Marvel movie, uh, it really kind of bums me out because – I would have thought we would all be better than this, but it turns out like when we get power, we're just as awful as everyone else, if not worse. So I have a, I have I some, tinker. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm a pissed off nerd's pretty, pretty bad. <laughs> but I have to, I mean, I, I, I thought about that a lot because so much of this episode is, or sorry, the series is about finding your place and about defining yourself through the culture you consume. Um, popular culture or otherwise. And I think, uh, I think we see that so much through all of these characters. This episode is explicitly about that. Um, that doesn't happen anymore. As far as I can tell. Um, the Tate, and, and I blame it on everybody, but I blame it on, um, I don't know. I kind of blame it on the pitchforks of the world who, Interesting. and the stereo gums that stopped being about subcultures and stopped being about, you know, specific ideas and started being about Everything they thought was cool. Uh, I think all kind of internet criticism has stopped having a point of view and we just kind of share one point of view. Mm. I think the idea that the monoculture is dead is um, not true at all. I think the monoculture is stronger than ever. And I think you see that in, um, you see that with only Marvel temp poles, DC temp poles, Star Wars movies making money and everything else that would have been considered indie is just kind of ephemeral. So I, I feel like we've, I feel like we've done the Pink Floyd thing where, where, where everyone's marching, you know, the wall thing where everyone's marching in line um, at the exact same speed and the exact same 
way uh, to the exact same place. And that place is YouTube, I think. But it's very, to me, that's very upsetting. I, I, I don't feel like, um, I don't feel like there's such things as a disco crew, a punker crew, a, uh, I mean, I'm not in high school, so I don't, I don't know. I mean, high school culture is very, as we know, very, um, clicky. Uh, I don't think it is anymore. Well, I I don't know is my point, but it it might be. I think that I just, I'm curious. I think there's some, I obviously think there's validity to your point, but I don't know that, that it's maybe as binary. Alan, you have high school age children? Uh, one of my kids is in high school, and I can attest that there are definitely still cliques. I don't know if there are the same cliques, but there are definitely dividing lines. But I think a lot of the lines are blurred. Like I just spent a lot of the last year going to physical therapy because I, I had a shoulder injury that I had to have surgery on. And so I'm going every day to these these physical therapists who are like the jockiest of the jocks. And every time I come in, they're going deep on like the nerdiest minutia of Game of Thrones and like the Infinity Stones and things like that. Like it's just definitely a lot of things have swept over and everybody now, you know, is fluent in them in a way that, you know, like if you made a Star Trek joke when I was in, you know, seventh grade or something, two other people in the class would have gotten it. Yeah, I see that at my barbershop. Really? Yeah, I go to like a. I don't didn't do this on purpose because I'm not you know actively trying to be cool, but I happen to live in a, <laughs> the building with this guy who owned uh, a barber shop that um, is a speakeasy in back, so it has like this this cool vibe and there are cool barbers. Um, I wish I went to your barber shop. Very, you can go; it's in Culver City. Okay. Um, it's called the Blind Barber. Cool. Um, and uh, and yeah, they they're all very cool. They dress very cool, and they're the coolest people, and they are so into the nerdiest shit. <laughs> They're so, so in. That's kind of what makes them cool. Maybe, <laughs> or just makes them like everybody else. Right, right, right. You know. Um, so I just want to very uh, briefly talk about. Uh, so Paul Feig was interviewed in Vanity Fair in 2012, where he detailed what would have happened to the characters in the second season. Just because I think it's worth us sort of talking about. Lindsay would have become a human rights lawyer in the future, years after falling yeah. people dead. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's what he said. <sighs> Sam would have joined the drama club. Neil would cope with his parents' divorce by joining a swing choir in school. Bill would join the basketball uh. team, becoming a jock and leading to tensions with the geeks. Daniel would end up in jail. Kim would become pregnant on tour while following the Grateful Dead. And Nick would be pressured by his strict father to join the army. I believe the last one. Yeah. I mean, listen, these are... It, it, you put a gun to Paul Feig's head in sure. 2012 and you say, how's this, sh-? you know, what would have happened? I, you know, I, I think that, uh, I, you know, I can see Sam joining the drama club. I can see sort of, you know, I could see Neil dealing with the parents' divorce. I don't know about swing choir, but like, and I can see sort of Bill, if, if his, if, uh, his mom married coach Fredericks, like I could see him becoming maybe more involved in sports. These are all things that sort of, you know, from 30,000 feet, sure. But I don't know. I think a lot of those things are things that get pitched on day one. Of the sure. That, never <laughs> that gets shot down by day two. That is fair. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, listen, I, I think it's I, – I to come back to your original point, Alan, um, I, I don't think any of us want a season two of this show. I think that – I think we got lucky with the 18 we got. Now, how do you feel every now and then I hear people say on Twitter whenever they talk about, you know, what, sh- what long dead shows should come back? People say they want like a big chill season of Freaks and Geeks where they all come back together at middle age for Daniel's funeral. Oh no, no. Oh no. well, no, no. That was my that that was that wasn't a bad reaction. That was more like oh, that's very sad. That yeah, that, that was a that that was more of a that actually affected me reaction. I, you know, <laughs> there is a. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Would I watch a Netflix mini or a movie 
in the vein of the big chill where all these characters are back in town for whatever reason and we get to sort of see what they've become as adults. I'd watch the shit out of it. I don't know that I need it in my life. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, it, it should also be said that, you know, this is this is probably the show that people point to when it comes to an entire cast that's become stars off of it, essentially. I mean, they're all huge now. So I don't, I don't necessarily think that uh, we are well acquainted with the older versions of these people, I guess is what I'm getting at. So if they were to come back into our lives, uh, if they brought this cast back together, it wouldn't be some jarring, crazy thing. I think that it might actually work, but I just don't know that we need it. Well, the, the big chill doesn't, the, the specific big chill, um, analogy doesn't work for me because these people weren't all friends yes so they they would that that's a little weird you know the the i mean the thing that kind of pops into my head is the um there's probably a better version of this but it is the the girl meets world version where um Lindsay becomes rosso and becomes a guidance counselor and where maybe one other person bill or someone you know works at the school and then we could see the younger generation Mm -hmm. but the younger generation be in the 90s now you know? Yeah, that's true. So, um, yeah. Alan, question for you. Um, yes. When the show was canceled, Apatow had a little bit of a meltdown. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he he released a statement, I guess, if you would call it that, on, on the blog or on their website um, that we that we read uh on our on our episode after the show was was uh, canceled, uh, and in 2014, Apatow said, "Everything I've done in a way is revenge for the people who canceled Freaks and Geeks." What are your thoughts on this? I mean, he he got his revenge. <laughs> <laughs> he did. I you know, yeah. I, it, Freaks and Geeks. Uh, Matt Seitz and I we did this book called TV the Book, where we picked mm-hmm. 100 best shows of all time. Freaks and Geeks is somewhere around 25, I think. And I wrote the essay for that show, and the whole like. Pr- construct of the essays i'm comparing you know the nbc executives who canceled it to the executives at decca records who passed on signing the beatles mm-hmm. you know because they would rather you know go with brian Poole and the tremolos because they were local um because it's like and they had all of these people all this huge talent which as you say had become enormous and basically defined comedy in the 21st century under contract on one show uh, and NBC hated it and didn't know what to do with it and canceled it. And so now Rogan and Franco and Siegel and everybody else are huge stars. And yeah. John Francis Daly is writing superhero movies and everything else. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. you know, they d- and Judd is a mogul. You know, any anything he touches, you know, anyone he casts his imprimatur upon, you know, almost immediately becomes a huge thing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he did get his revenge. Uh, I mean, I, I this think this is what happens when the nerds take over. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think there's, you know, uh, it, it, his his immediate statement I thought was was crazy. I think when we read it online, you know, or, or on Mike, we all were sort of like, all right, I mean, this is crazy. <laughs> Pump the brakes, buddy. Pump the brakes on your like, you yeah, know, he hatred was mad. Of, of, he was mad. Yeah, of Dateline and what have you, but. Um, and understandable uh, to a certain degree that he was upset. Whether or not he should have taken that to the public is, you know, his choice, I guess. Um, but I do think that, uh, to your point, he really, this show birthed through Apatow a sort of a lane that is interesting. You know what I mean? That, 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 that these type of characters and these type of people get to exist, um, in a myriad of shows, I think is, is a wonderful thing. It's a gift. This show kind of gave, gave us that. Alan, I do have a question for you. Uh, 
What shows would you say either currently on the air or on the air within maybe the last 10 years um, see, show the influence of this? I mean, there, there's lots. Um, basically, anything Allison Jones has cast since then, you know, mm-hmm. she's as much the through line as Apatow himself. But, you know, the, the things that Judd has worked on, like Girls and like Love, you know, those feel like things where you could see slightly older versions of these characters. Uh, a lot of other high school shows, Netflix has this thing called Sex Education, which I think is coming back in January, mm-hmm. that definitely had a bit of a Freaks and Geeks flavor to it. Um, I mean, it's definitely... There have been a lot more teen shows since then. There have also been just a lot more shows about outcasts and weirdos and a lot more Gen X pandering in the last 20 years <laughs> than there were at the time. Yeah. I mean, I think you can definitely see that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I sort of uh, just wanted to quickly kind of walk through the episode a little bit. But but one of the things I wanted to talk about really that I loved about the episode was um, the Sam and Daniel mirror that's going on, this idea of Sam being conflicted about being a geek and then Daniel sort of becoming a geek uh, and what that says to each other. Well, I would say that the geeks became cool guys. Right. <laughs> that's that's what they would say. Um, but, I, but I think that there's something interesting in um, – it really kind of comes full circle, at least for Sam, in the sense of of him questioning his friendship with these people or, or, or just sort of what he loves and what he likes. And he starts questioning, I'm assuming coming out of sort of the, um, the fallout from the Cindy debacle in the previous episode of him just being sort of questioning who he is and why he likes what he likes. Um, like, why doesn't he like Cindy? Um, and, and that's cause Cindy kind of sucks at least at the end. She, she, wow. She really wound up sucking. <laughs> oh boy. Maybe not as gracefully as they would have liked, but yeah, yeah I mean, she I'd buy it. But, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. So I, I guess, you know, one of the things that I love the D and D scene and I think in your review or maybe it was Emily Vanderwerf's, uh, you, you guys both sort of talked about that. They don't play the game. Like we're actually not in D and D for that long in the episode, and yet it really stays with you because it feels like it's such a microcosm of the show. Yeah, there. I mean, there's a deleted scene. Have you guys ever watched those? For, I have for not this watched them one? all, not yet. So you actually get to see Daniel like figure out how to get their way out of like a cavern or something where where monsters coming at them. <laughs> I have the I have, I have the DVD. I'll, I'll watch, watch that, that for sure. I watch it tonight. Yeah, uh, a lot of the deleted scenes on the show are fun, and you know the the Judd style of just shoot lots and cut it cut it later. So there's more gems on that than there might be on some other sets. But I I feel like they're they're trying to do so much in this episode, and as it is, a few characters who were very important in the last third of the season, like Neil and Bill and Ken, mostly get left by the wayside because mm-hmm. uh, there's only so much they can do, and even the Kim stuff kind of gets short shrift. Yeah. Um, so I don't know that, like, as fun as that scene is, I don't know that it's necessary, and I wouldn't have wanted to sacrifice any more time with anybody else in order to show that. Yeah, I I, I fully agree. Um, still loved it. I, I I love Carlos the dwarf. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, <laughs> I love just just seeing Daniel embrace something um, so outside his purview and and finding real joy in it. You know, it, it reminds me to the episode a couple of weeks earlier with the, the punk rock thing where you're seeing Daniel try on different hats a little bit or at least trying to figure out like what his future is. And I'm not suggesting that he is all of a sudden going to become a, D, a huge D&D fan, but he finds happiness in an, un, an unlikely place. Um, one of the things that I loved is when they're, when they're trying to convince Daniel to play D&D in the earlier scene, um, they, one of the characters says, it allows 
you to be someone you'll never be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a real, that really kind of sticks with Daniel. Um, he gets to be Carlos Ador for a couple hours, but you know, well, it, he has to be Carlos Ador for a couple <laughs> hours, but you understand my point. Yeah. It's, it's, he yeah. gets to, he gets to exist in a way that he never has before metaphorically and otherwise. And I, I think that's a really, a really beautiful sentiment. All right. So here's what I got an important question for you guys. Cause yeah. when I finished my rewatch of the series back in earlier in the fall, I asked this on social media and I couldn't quite get consensus. And you guys have just rewatched the whole show. Indeed. Does Daniel play D and D with them again? It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Oh, man. I think he does. <laughs> I want to believe he does. That's my answer. <laughs> I think if there's, I, I, I think the if there's one character who doesn't care what other people think about him, it's Daniel. Um, and often his advice to other characters, uh, you know, is 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 seeped in that idea. I think that he plays D and D again. I also think that there's kind of there's kind of a um, a more subtle point being made is that these two groups aren't so different from each other. Right. They're just a bunch of obsessives. So, and they're also a bunch of outcasts. Um, so I, and I, I would also say, I think in two years, Harris very clearly would be under the bleacher smoking cigarettes at least. (laughs) Um, and maybe Harris is the best. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent Harris starts dressing in black, listening to, you know, I don't know what he would listen to in 1980, but in like in 1999, he's listening to God. I don't know. Corn. God, no, that's horrible. <laughs> horrible thing to say about Why Harris. would you wish that on Harris? Wow. <laughs> He's such um, a lovely guy, Harris. He's I, probably I, listening to early EDM. Um, <laughs> I'll say this to answer your question, Alan, not to split hairs, but I think he plays it again, but I don't think – I think they ask him to play again and he goes and plays again. I don't think that it's the, that something that he sort of on his own volition happens, if that makes any sense. Okay, that's fair. I, I, I thought maybe he would come back once or twice and then yeah. after that drift away. Like once the initial magic is gone, he realizes, wait a minute, I'm hanging out with these guys. This is not me. Yeah, I'm agree- I would agree he's not a lifer. The, the bigger problem is that they're two years younger than him or three because he was held yeah. back. That's the, yes. that's yeah. the thing that's not happening to me. But just in general, just, you know, they obviously don't have this, the junior year version of the geeks in the show. I, I, I I think he's comfortable enough to kind of hang out in the AV club and find something he, he really likes. I mean, it, it is, I'll say this and, and sort of the, the, I think the point that we're kind of all circling a little bit is, is that Daniel is, Daniel's probably the most lost cause of our group. Um, he's the one that I definitely look at 
and, and in the D and D scene a little bit, I saw shades of those, those scary guys that show up in, in beers and weirs. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, where you're just like, he's, he's aged out of this group a little bit. He's teetering on that. Like he can hang out with them now, but you know, what's he going to look like in a year? Um, and it, it's, he's, he's the most kind of, I don't want to say dangerous cause I don't think he's a criminal necessarily, <laughs> but he's just, he's teetering on oblivion a little bit. The man has no code. But, I mean, obviously, Harold is going to lose his shit the most over yes. Lindsay, you know, following the dead. Yep. But imagine, just I, among the reasons that a second season might have been fun is imagine Harold and Jean's response to Sam becoming friends with Daniel Desario. <laughs> <laughs> that, I agree with that 100%. So I'll give, I'm going to give my glass half full for Daniel. <laughs> I, you know, my, most careers in Hollywood these days, I think tend to travel a a nerdy path, whether that's the sci-fi route or the comedy route. Sure. Right? Um, you know, the UCB world or a sci-fi world or whatever. I came up through a de- very different path. I came up – I worked on – as listeners know, I worked on Entourage for a very long time, for a very long time. <laughs> and I have tended to be more – to be to meet with and work with people more towards that end of the spectrum. So to that end, I've worked with people like Nick Cassavetes, who is not a nerd. Um, sure. I. That being said, the people I've worked with in my career, you know, the I didn't work. I don't work with any of the sons of the sons of anarchy people or, or the Sean Ryan's of the world. But but those kind of people also exist and also are film obsessives and also have. Uh, have like really vibrant, exciting careers. And if Daniel sticks around in the AV club for a while, he could make it out. He could go that path. The, ki- yeah. the kind of, you know, that's interesting. The kind of, uh, what, what was the book? Raging Bulls and, um, uh, Raging Bulls. Easy, and riders, Easy riders and Raging Bulls. Easy Riders and Raging Bulls. That kind of outlaw Hollywood path. I can see and that. And in 1999, he could maybe even make a great movie. Let's hope it's better than Boo Not States, but something along those lines. He could he could have a James Franco esque career. He could have a James <laughs> Franco esque career. <laughs> yeah, I think so, there's something to that for sure, for sure. Yeah, I you know I, I don't know. I think that Daniel's the one that that I look at and sort of I don't want to say I feel the saddest for, but he's the one that feels like he has the least of a safety net. The other ones, I feel like they're all gonna figure it out one way or another. I'm not so sure about Daniel. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a line that I just really laughed at that I just want to highlight, um, which is at the end when they're at the bus and they're putting Lindsay on the bus and Neil gives Lindsay some chocolates in a, in a heart box. And Bill says, yeah, we always give my grandmother chocolates when we put her on the bus and her address and phone number in case she gets lost. <laughs> <laughs> Why are they putting his grandmother it. on a bus? <laughs> Like, I'm just, I, I just, I, I, I don't know. It made me laugh. I loved it. And I loved that final scene. I'm a sucker for uh, for a teenager or a kid or a college student waving to their family as they move on to the next step in their lives. Um, it, it's just it's powerful stuff, um, and it's it's I don't know it's really beautiful and it and it's melancholy when she's waving goodbye to them, and then it's filled with possibility when she gets in that bus uh, in the van to go see the dead. You do know what the last line of the show was, right? I don't think I do. You know, Alan? Uh, not off the top of my head. It was Mrs. Weir saying, miss you already. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah. 
God damn. It's not that me. me. It's not me. It's them. Oh yeah. It's, uh, it's a really good show. I, you know, I, I, I it's so funny to me because in reading, uh, various interviews with Paul Figas, he was talking about the creation of this specific episode and how he wrote a majority of it in Vegas on a trip with Judd Apatow nice. in like, in like a, a bathtub, apparently. Um, it, it's just, you, you the, the, the most wonderful things can come out of the weirdest of circumstances. You know what I mean? And, and writing is just, it doesn't matter where you are, you can write something really beautiful. And he wrote a beautiful, beautiful episode in a bathtub in Vegas. <laughs> so I, I think that that's, I think that's an amazing thing. Um, do we, uh, Alan, do you, uh, do you want to talk about our top five episodes of the show? Uh, we can do that. Before we do that, I, I just yeah. want to say one thing, which is, the one other reason that I'm a slightly bummed that we didn't get a second season yeah. is, and this was something that I was reminded of rewatching the show, is over these 18 episodes, they do an incredible job of mixing and matching a lot of different characters. Like, you know, in 17, there's that great scene in the in the so boys' cool. bathroom between uh, Sam and Ken, for instance. Yeah. The one pairing that we never got that I really desperately wanted is Bill Haverchuk and Kim Kelly. <laughs> That's I true. just wanted them to be in a room together to be yeah. on the bus together just to see how she responds to him and I think I asked like I asked the guys about it on Twitter when I was finishing up my rewatch and they said one of the ideas they always had on the board that they never got around to doing was like uh, the school bus driver has a, has a meltdown and oh. abandons the bus in the middle of the woods oh, yeah. and so it's all the kids somehow together in the woods for the entire episode um, and that would have finally forced even more into freaks versus geeks kind of interactions and oh, i wish i got great. to see that yes. yeah I, I i fully agree with you that that pairing there's just a lot there the the potential yes. of the two of them is is really something special it it, it makes me think a little bit and i, I don't mean this in a, in a romantic sense because i don't think that kim and bill would be romantic together um but the uh the seven minutes in heaven that bill has with vicky uh a couple yeah. episodes previous really kind of I guess my point is there's a lot in Bill. There's a lot of uh, the, the spectrum of that character, what we see him go through when his mom starts dating coach Fredericks. There's just a lot going on there. Um, and I think that, that Kim and him have maybe more of a Venn diagram than, uh, than we might think at first blush. Yes. So I, I, yeah, I think that's, I, I agree with you that I would have loved to have seen that. I mean, listen, I'm not under any delusions. If there had been a second season of this show, I have no doubt that there would have been some amazing stuff in there. Um, but what you mentioned earlier, you know, your Friday Night Lights analogy, I think is a, is a good one, which is I don't want to see this go through the grist mill of a, of a broadcast network and sort of limp its way through a second season rather than just have it end the way that it did. Absolutely. So, uh, top five episodes. Um, Kenny, do you have yours? Okay, I'll go first. Um, we'll, I'm going to start at the bottom. Um, in number five, I have The Garage Door, um, which I loved um, because we got to see a little more of Neil's backstory and the and the sort of the divorce, uh, p- pending p- perhaps divorce of his parents. Um, it's, it's one of the sort of the more melancholy episodes. Um, what was your number five, Alan? Um, well, I'm, can I start from one just because I'm, like I said, I have a top four and I'm waiting on five because I want to see if there's something you guys don't mention. All right. Yeah, go ahead. So number one for me is Dead Dogs and Gym Teachers, which is, 
you know, the, the bill plot, the bill scene where he comes home and he makes the grilled cheese sandwich is the single best scene <laughs> the show did. It's just so beautiful and so deeply personal in a way that like even the rest of the show does not feel. Uh, and I love that. And, and like I was saying earlier, the Millie subplot is good. It's not great, but the bill subplot is just so extraordinary. And bill is by far my favorite character on the show. And this is his best showcase. Agreed. So for me, that's, that's an easy number one. And Martin star is just tremendous in the episode, just in general. Oh my God. He's, he's really, really, really good. Um, my number one, honestly, is the pilot. Um, I, I felt like it, you can make that face if you want. The face I? I made was, was a, a boo. You can boo face. it. I mean, I, 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 think it's, I love the pilot. I think it, I think it's a tremendous pilot. I think it does what pilots are supposed to do better than most. Um, you know, Alan, you've seen, a million pilots and you know how pilots aren't great always. Uh, they got a lot of work to do. And, uh, you know, this is, this show knows what it is from the jump. And as you can attest, I, I assume as well, Alan, most shows don't, um, they have to find themselves a little bit and this show knows what it is right out of the gate. So I really love the pilot. The pilot's sure. awesome. It's not on my top five. <laughs> All right. Uh, what's your number one? Noshing and moshing. Love Noshing. That's my number three. Oh, it's a good one. Noshing and Moshing is the, the sh- is the show for me. It just it's the best. every. I mean, it's you know, it's th- th- those. I love the punker stuff. Love, love, love. But the ventriloquism stuff, the the, the best. Co- coming full circle on the on the Schweiber family, um, after the garage door, the Neil stuff, the ventriloquist. I love a weird subplot um, that actually winds up affecting the main action. Um. And I think, uh, and I think David Crumholtz is. I was going to say he's got some. He's a revelation. He's a revelation. Yeah, in that he's episode. amazing. Yep. So, uh, and and the the stuff with him and Lindsay's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't disagree with any of that. I mean, it, it's my number two. Uh, I adore it. It was. It was. Kenny and I were talking, texting, what have you, over these last sort of string of episodes, and I, I'm I, I'm curious about your thoughts on this too, Alan. But it, it really feels like the show really understands itself and is really coming into its own right around the time that it gets canceled. <laughs> yes, and that's Noshing and Moshing is one of the ones I have in contention, but since Kenny just mentioned it, I, I may leave that off depending on where things go. <laughs> I, I love it. I just love the parallels between the two of them. And that moment where where Neil has stormed out of the party and is feeling miserable and he finds Krumholtz making out with Lindsay yes. and everything suddenly gets even worse <laughs> is like among the bigger gut punches the show did. Totally, totally agree. Mm-hmm. It's it's I mean, yeah. I, I've been Exactly. <laughs> what's, what's your number two, Alan? Uh, I guess my number two would be the episode we just spent uh, an hour talking about, Discos and Dragons. I really like it a lot. I just, I like I said, I think it's really nicely distributed. It covers the the thematic ground of the show better than almost any other episode they did. A lot, a lot of it still makes me laugh. The disco scene, <laughs> like uh, I often think of that as like if I could show someone one moment from the show to sell them on it. Well, I could show the grilled cheese, but that's a little sad. Or I could show <laughs> Nick dancing to groove line with this enraged look on his face. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, uh, I love yeah, it. It's great. Um, well, my number two uh, is Noshing and Moshing. So uh, what's your number two, uh, Kenny? My number two, Choking and Toking. Um, you'll see a, a lot of mine come from the same batch, it, same yeah. batch yes. of the show. That, that probably right around when they realized they were canceled – was when they took the governor off and told all the stories I want to hear, I want to see. So uh, <laughs> I, I love 
joking and toking. I love the Lindsay Millie stuff. I think it's fucking brilliant. I love um the uh the Bill stuff. Why well, I don't love it, but um yeah. that really affected me. I think it I didn't even realize on the rewatch how well it sets up what happens in the future with with Bill and Vicky. And I love the introduction of uh Bill's mom. There's so much great stuff in that episode. Um yeah. It yeah, it, it's it's really interesting to see how they do start laying piping and you start to see that they start to think like big picture right around the time that the show gets canceled. Like it's really at that moment when they're, when they start to get macro and they start to see the whole canvas, that's when they pull the plug, which is a fucking shame. Um, my number three is beers and weirs. Um, I just it's think it's a really good yes. episode and, and it, it, it's just, it really, it takes a trope of the sort of the party when the parents are away and it makes it its own. Um, and it really, it's just got a lot of, th- that to me is a show that sort of episode twos are really, really hard. Um, they're hard because, it, you know, you got to repilot your show. You got to do all these things. Um, and you got to deal with all the new writers. <laughs> Sure. Um, it's, it, they're just, it's, it's a, it's a tough needle to thread. And this show really, this episode shows all the different flavors and all the different things this show is possible, can do. And I'm just, I I love it. To your point, I think it's a good strategy to repiloting is important. I understand that going big in the second episode, having a big fucking set piece that everyone get, can get excited about, put all your characters in a place together. Um, it's a great plan. Yeah. And it, and, and it does like, we, it, it shows how weird the show is. I mean, we talked about this when we did the episode, but you know, Nick trying to take Lindsay's bra off in the, in the driveway of their house. Yeah. It's just like, it just does such weird stuff. Like, and that is their way of being like, Oh, these two are going to get together eventually. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> uh, what's your number three, Alan? Um, let's see my number three and beers and weirs holds a special place in my heart because as I told you guys on the first episode, like I came up with the John Bonham joke. So (laughs) I'm still waiting for my residual check, Judd. Unbelievable. That is really funny. Yeah. Uh, no, no. My number three is the little things, which is from that same section of the the season that Kenny was talking about. That's one of the rare where I would say the two subplots are kind of on equal footing because Sam discovering that he actually hates Cindy Sanders and uh, Ken wrestling with (laughs) discovering that his girlfriend was born intersex. Like those are two very different and very delicate kind of stories. And they're both fantastic. Uh, And it leads up to that amazing scene with the two of them in the bathroom together where they each kind of help each other realize what they need to do about these two women. Yeah, it's it's a great scene. Yeah, I don't know. I know I love it. I love it. I'm I'm, I'm rethinking my list. <laughs> um, I, my list is yeah. I mean, here's the thing that's become abundantly clear to me as we do this, which is there's really only like two week episodes on this entire run, really. Yeah, and, like and that that stick out, and they they're unfortunately back to back, but. I mean, it's just, it's such a solid 18 episodes that yeah. truthfully, there's an argument to be made for every episode. Yes. Um, I, I'm, you know, all right. So I'm going to, I'm on number three. Yeah. Number three. number three is dead dog, dead dogs and gym teachers. Alan already put yep, that wheel on. Did. I feel, I feel strong about my top three and then yep. I basically have four contenders for the last two. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, 
I don't know. I, I, I think that the show, when it's working, it's doing stuff that no other show was doing at the time. And I would argue, you know, doing an intersex story, which, you know, hearing the way that it came about just – and. Paul Feig talking about how in the writer's room, how they were sort of making jokes about how this would be something so totally insane to do. And then he just was like, no, we have to do it now. It's we my need favorite. to do, and we need to do it right. Um, I want to work, I want to work for him so badly. It's, it's really, really an amazing thing. Um, it's also sort of, they talked about how it's, it's such a, uh, sort of the last wall to get through Ken. Like Ken's just mm-hmm. a series of walls. And then when this thing happens that he has no idea how to process, turns him into this you know, fully three-dimensional character. I want to make one more point about this back run yeah. that I noticed, particularly 16, 17, 18. Um, I can't remember on a network show, softer act outs. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a bad way. I think it is the, I think it is the, the most secure thing you can do to say, you're not going to, to the audience, you're not going to come back because you're, worrying about what's going to happen in the next scene in terms of did this person actually die or did this person actually, you know, tell this person to go fuck themselves. You're just going to come back because it's really good. You're just going to come back because you love what we're doing. Yeah. Um, and I said the confidence that they had yeah. in these last episodes and the editing and the decisions they made and the stories they told, it's so inspiring, uh, except that it failed, but it's so inspiring. <laughs> <laughs> well, it I mean, failed it, in the short term, but it worked in the long that's term. That's true. Yeah. yeah, I know. We're talking about long it 20 game. years later. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, my number four is uh, Smoochin' and Moochin'. Smoochin'. Oh, it's a good one. I, I mean, I, I really, really love this episode. This one um, – I mean, I loved the makeout party. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I, I adore the Bill and Vicky scene. Uh, I love how it's shot, by the way. This beautiful sliver, sliver of I know, light it's um, is just, it's really something special. Um, you know, I love just the look on Sam's face when Cindy pushes him down onto the bed. Uh, there's just, there's so much going on in it. And then just the Nick Weir stuff where the Weirs just fall in love with Nick. And it's just, I don't know. It's a really, I think it's a really special episode. I think this was the one, Alan, if I'm not mistaken, that was supposed to be the bus thing. But I think at that point, it was going to be too expensive to do all those exteriors. And they and it kind of turned into this uh, smooching and mooching episode. I could be wrong, though. Yeah, I think I think Judd told me like they had to write the whole party scene in like a day because something else fell through. So that your half of the story and my half of the story fit together neatly. Yeah, I think that that feels right to me. But um, what's your what's your number four, Alan? Uh, my number four is the diary because that mm. is just a fantastic Harold and Gene Weir story. It doesn't go at all where you expect it to. You assume they're going to read the diary and they're going to find out all this yeah. dirt about Lindsay and the freaks. Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to create new tension with them. And instead, they are the ones who are judged and it forces a reexamination of them. Uh, and it was just so funny because my daughter throughout the series really didn't like Harold Weir, despite Joe Flaherty being really funny. <laughs> she just, I guess she's a little too close to. You know, being Lindsay's age and you know feeling judged by adults and things, and then she's like, "Okay, maybe he's not so bad in this one." Yeah, <laughs> it's it does zig when you think it's going to zag. The diary is is it goes in a direction that that you don't think it's going to. I hear the personal connection though, Alan. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I it's it's funny because you 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 both had on my my four tie now. Initially, I had Smoochin mm-hmm. and Moochin. Which is an incredible episode. Oh, so good. For all you yeah. said. And I and um I have to put also I have to give a little shout out to the little things. Sure. Because yeah. those I mean th- 
th- th- that would be my real top five. Yeah. Smooch and mooch and the little things would be four or five. But that indicates that I don't like the first 12 episodes of the show, <laughs> which is not true. Yeah. So I will, I will give my first 12 um, MVPs when it comes to my, my, my turn to go for, uh, for my fifth choice. But yeah, Smooch and Mooch and Incredible, Little Things Incredible. You guys already hit them. Yeah, I mean, I think the only other episode that I would want to give a shout out to um, that was probably my number six was um, Boyfriends and Girlfriends. Um, I really loved how they dealt with sort of Lindsay grappling with her virginity and the whole Nick thing of it all. And, and Nick's just smothering affections of Lindsay. I just, uh, you know, it's a relationship that, uh, I'm not convinced people would do on broadcast TV today, let alone in 1999. Um, so I, 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 I commend them. Do you have any uh, final episodes, Alan, that you would want to uh, highlight? All right. Okay. So, all right. So, let's see. We we ran through a bunch of mine. Yeah. So I now have a three way tie for five, and I got to pick one of them. Uh, what the hell? Kim Kelly is my friend because sure. that's that's the show, the, the episode that not only pivots the relationship between Lindsay and Kim, but it also pivots the relationship between the show and NBC because, as we <laughs> talked about the last time, NBC fucking hated that one and refused <laughs> to air it and didn't care that the rest of the series would not make sense to people if they didn't see it. Um and there's just something like the way they're able to completely reverse your expectations about Kim, who's been so awful to Lindsay and a little bit to Sam in the previous three episodes mm-hmm. is really great. And then what the writers and busy Phillips are able to do over the rest of the run of the show, that is my number five. Yeah. It, it's, and we talked about this a little bit when we did the episode itself, Kim Kelly is my friend. I, I don't understand why NBC hated it as much as they did. Like I don't, it's bizarre to me. You would think that something just absolutely horrendous happened in it it's very strange but i mean listen they 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 you know controlled the purse strings so they did yeah. what they did but. you you guys know a few things about the tv business so i'm <laughs> sure this is not the weirdest thing either <laughs> no it's no. it's it's not but i guess it's just I, I and i don't know about you kenny but i try to put myself into the headspace of 99 as much as i can when we do this and that's one of those things where it's like if i'm an executive in 99 i'm still unclear as to what it is about this episode that is that bumped them oh, so I have much absolutely no idea <laughs> so it's it's they, just they were showing sabotz's ass like four years yeah. earlier i mean come on guys. <laughs> um do you, is my five yeah all five? right so my my fives were uh kim kelly is my friend mm-hmm. which would have been i would have expected that to be in my top one or two before the rewatch and I'm with the band. Same so story. Good. So good. Um, oh, that's, uh, I can't rewatch that one. The scene where he auditions is so brutal. It's yeah. So but brutal. the kiss is so, it's like the kiss is amazing. The kiss, I mean, the kiss gets you like an entire season worth of a season's worth of like, all right, I'll see where it goes with these two. I'll, <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'll give him a shot. Um, love uh, those two episodes. Um, I actually, I think I like I'm with the band more, but for all the reasons you said, Alan, like Kim Kelly is like kind of a, seminal moment um for the series and kind of for television in its own weird way if that's the if that's the if that's the episode that made nbc executives be like fuck this show we're gonna cancel it at some point (laughs) that's the that's the moment when judd apatow like started his you know villain rise from his you know can i ask i have a question for both you guys um were you guys pulling for Lindsay and nick no 
No. <laughs> well, <laughs> no. Well, that was short. Um, but the reason I asked the question, uh, in the, in the series finale, they have a really nice moment at the, at the roller rink or sorry, uh, at the bowling alley before he does his disco routine where they kind of find closure between the two of them. And yet at the same time, the looks that we're left with on both of their faces is not one of, of sort of happiness and resolve. Um, Nick still clearly has feelings for Lindsay and Lindsay is sort of unsure about walking away from him. It's a great moment for her. So I guess my question to you guys is that's sort of why I asked that. Did you ever feel like these two might make it work or that this was just sort of, did they just leave it with a question mark? Because quite honestly, that's how relationships end, which I think is kind of beautiful in its own way. I mean, I think a so like there are enough signs in that episode, and I think in Choking a Toking, where you see Nick sober, and she really likes that version of Nick. And so, if that had been the Nick that we were seeing more often yes. uh, over the run of the series, then maybe I would buy into it. That's and it sounds like that's kind of what they wanted to do in season two: is yeah. Nick is forced to clean up his act to get his dad off his case, uh, and then it would have been interesting seeing Lindsay react to that guy. But the Nick for the majority of the other sixteen episodes, no, God no. <laughs> I agree. Um, one thing I, I do think this show doesn't that very few other shows have the guts to do is show that um, high school relationships are not romantic gestures and, um, you know, I will die for you. Uh, generally, they're two people who happen to agree to kiss each other <laughs> at the right time and then for figure, a certain duration. figure it all out later. Yeah. And, you know, the Sam Cindy stuff is, like, brilliant in the way it was executed. And the Nick Lindsay stuff is also brilliant in the way it was executed. You, you kind of want to make it work for uh, – for your place in the school, in the ecosystem, in your own personal development. But for the most time, it's most political part, in a weird way. It is. Yeah. And for the most part, these relationships, these high school relationships are total fucking train wrecks. Yeah. Yeah. Even like the one that works in the series, Daniel um, and Kim is it is a Bumpy. train wreck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Well, Alan, we can't thank you enough for coming on and talking twice with us about Freaks and Geeks. Yes. It was my absolute pleasure, guys. It was an absolute honor. And, uh, yes, it was. when we do, uh, The Sopranos in 2020 at some point, we look forward to hopefully talking with you about that as well, since you are clearly the guy to talk to about The Sopranos. Mm-hmm. The Sopranos, I've heard of it. <laughs> is, that a, is that a good show? Well, thank you so, so much. We really do appreciate it, Alan, and we look forward to talking again. Alan, real, real fast. Uh, did, oh, did Tony die? Actually, we're, we ran out of time. We'll, <laughs> we'll get back in 2020. Thank you so much, Alan. We really appreciate it. Check care, Talk guys. Later. Bye. Um, so just a quick little thing that I want to add here, that we want to add here. Um, this isn't sort of the end of the road for Freaks and Geeks. This is just sort of, you know, this is the end of the episodes. Mm-hmm. This is like the end of its NBC run. Right. <laughs> exactly. You always come back yeah. to Fox Family. Fox Family, you know, um, and, and IFC. Uh, we, we just, you know, we're hoping that we're going to get some cast and some crew and some writers and, and all that sort of stuff along the way. So there will be sort of hopefully bonus episodes of interviews with people that we're, that we're able to get. Um, so we'll, 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 hopefully there'll be Freaky Fridays coming down the road in, in different sort of ways, but uh, we don't want you to think that this is, uh, this is it. So. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.